All right, tonight I'm going to start off just by doing a quick recap of Sunday morning for those of you that weren't able to make it. Um, it was an incredible message that our pastor had for us on Sunday morning about no limits and a limitless God. And he described some ways that we put him in limits and we try to do things on our own. And it was just a message that I truly needed to hear in my spirit. It's one that I, I was thirsting for. And Sunday morning I came in and me and my wife, our routine is to bring our twin girls into the nursery and you just never know what's going to happen every morning. You don't know if they're going to cooperate or if they're going to have a meltdown, both of them, one of them. And, but Sunday morning we were both on the same page where we came in and we're like, I mean, they were cooperative and they were great. And we just came into service like we are just ready to receive. And luckily we both did. And it was a, it was a phenomenal service. He talked about the limitless God. One thing he said that I loved was that as Christians, as believers, we need to stop saying the sentence, that's just the way it is. That's just the way my family is. We're, all my family's like that, so that's just the way it is. Um, I don't think that I can beat that addiction or break that cycle because that's just the way it's been. I don't see me changing that anytime soon. As believers, well, as humans, as we default to that's just the way it is. It's kind of in our nature to just say, well, just the way it's gonna be, there's nothing I can do about it. You're not wrong. There is nothing you could do about it, but there's something God can do about it. And so I think as believers, we need to begin to take the limits off, as Pastor was saying. And, and something that he said is when you live in the realm of limitation, you're walking in disobedience with God. And I'm like, wow, convicting. <laughs> Any friends in the house that felt a little, ooh. And because and, no one wants to hear that they're walking in disobedience with God. But a whole lot of us can relate to walking in limitation. And so that's something that as believers we need to conquer. Um, a verse he shared was Ephesians 2.1, which says, And he made you, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God. Our pastor loves to talk about the but gods. And when you're walking in your, in your walk with God, you use the word but a lot. Like, I would do this but. Or, you know, I would pray for that person but. So we're going to leave the buts to God. And he says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works lest anyone should boast. In other words, we didn't get ourselves saved. That wasn't us. All we did was surrender because we realized we couldn't do it on our own. And we realized that we needed a savior. And so what we did was we fell at the feet of Jesus and said, God, I just I got to give it to you because I tried and I failed and I can't do it on my own. And it says, so we, we have no right to boast in the fact that we're saved. If we're going to boast in the fact that we're saved, we're going to boast about Jesus who saved us. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And tonight, well, one more point that he said that I loved, it was kind of, it's kind of like, I mean, it goes with that verse, but he just, he said towards the end of his message that we need to start getting excited about being saved. We need to stop just living these normal, just, you know, 
walking through life like it's no big deal that we're saved. Like we're saved. We have salvation. We have the promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus. I mean, let's get excited about that. I'm so guilty of this, of going through my life and just going day to day and doing the, and just working and, and, you know, have my family and everything's great. But I so often forget that, wow, I'm a child of God. Like I'm saved by the king of the world, the king of kings. And it's time that we begin to get excited about that. And a lot of it is just remembering it. If you have a hard time remembering the fact that you're saved, sticky notes. But honestly, if you forget that you're saved, you got to start working on some other things <laughs> to try to figure out how to remember that. Because that's the best thing that could happen to us. Tonight, I want to expand on, on the topic of Ephesians 2.1, the verses we just read. I want to talk about it because... I think it's just so much, sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that when we were dead in trespasses, he saved us. Because it's not a lot, you don't find it a lot in, in life that you walk around and, and people befriend you because, or people befriend you in the midst of you being a bad person or being mean. You don't often make friends by being a mean person or being bitter. But with God, you could be in the middle of the sin in your life. You could be in the middle of the darkest place that you've ever been. But the second that you turn to him, he's ready to receive you. And sometimes that's hard for us because there's not a human on this earth that can resemble that same grace. And that's why so many times it's hard for us to receive it because it's just completely unbelievable to us. But tonight, that's exactly what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the fact that, yeah, we're never really going to wrap our mind around his grace. But we need to get to a place where we can begin to accept it and request it. And so tonight, that's what we're going to talk about. I know as a church, we've been discussing a lot about how we're in the season of exodus, of coming out of the old and coming into the new. And tonight, the topic of my message is back to the cross. Because it's time as believers that we stop living with our lives back to the cross, but we get back to the cross where God has called us to be and surrender to him. You can't live a life trying to be a Christian and trying to live a life of works and trying to be a good Christian without regularly visiting the foot of Jesus, the feet of Jesus, the foot of the cross. Because when we surrender our lives to him, that's where he, you are most useful to God, is when you say, God, I am absolutely nothing. Sure, I, I, I prayed for that person and they got a lot out of it, but God, I'm not going to let that get to me as if that was me who did that. God, you met their need. And that's coming back to the cross and coming back to the feet of Jesus. And, and the, the foot of the cross is there for, it's, it's there for your sin and for your failures and for grace and for the love of God to be shed upon you through the blood of Jesus. But it's also there for you to lay down your pride. It's there to lay down the things that maybe you like to walk with your head held high about. But God's saying, that's not you, that's me. <laughs> and that's the place where we are able to give God the glory. And the themes of my message tonight are going to be unfathomable grace and the faithfulness that we need to walk in. In order to come out of our old ways, or for some of us, our current ways, and come into the new things of God, we must first find ourselves back at the feet of the cross. We cannot move forward with God into the new things until we've first done away with the old and surrendered the old self and sin at the feet of Jesus. You see, needing grace and mercy is easy. It's easy to need it. I mean, we're born into sin. We're born into darkness. It's, it's in us to need grace and mercy. But receiving it 
is something that doesn't come naturally to us. It's something that we desire. We desire to receive the grace of God, but it's not natural for there to be a being who loves us so much that's going to accept us in our darkest days. Think about it. You hear all the time, I love you unconditionally. I love you unconditionally. But if you think about it, if you were to, to stab someone in the back enough times, if you were to, to turn your back on someone or to slander them or to intentionally rebuke them or run from them, eventually it's in our nature to kind of avoid those people. It's in our nature to kind of just disconnect from those people. But God's just the opposite. And that's exactly why it's so hard to, to grasp the concept of grace. It's because God is the complete opposite. It's unlike anything else we've ever experienced in our lives. God is there when you say, I don't want you. He's saying, I love you. When you're saying, God, I think I could do this on my own. He's saying, no, you can't, but I want to help you. When you think that you can take matters into your own hands, God is there to give you the helping hand. And it's, it's unfathomable. It doesn't make sense. But that's grace. That's just the way it is. So many different things try to keep us from the grace that God has, has extended to us. For me, recently, I was just asking God just for grace and mercy, just for being a human and just going through the struggles of life and asking God for grace and mercy. And I'm driving down the road and I feel I'm asking God for grace and mercy, but then I'm also feeling like I can't get it. I'm like, I'm asking you, God, for grace and mercy, but I just feel like I'm not in a position to accept it because I don't feel worthy enough to accept it. And I, I, can't, I can't wrap my mind around it. I, it doesn't make sense to me that you, would, that you would love someone as much as you love me, as much as you love the biggest sinners of the world. It just doesn't make sense to me. So I had a really hard time just accepting. God's up there saying, you're forgiven. I love you. My grace has been extended to you. I sent my son to die on the cross for people like you. But I'm sitting in my car like, it, I can't have that. That's not for me. I don't deserve that. But with God, I felt immediately what God said to me was that my mercy and my grace is not meant to be understood. It's just meant to be accepted. It doesn't make sense, but just accept it because it's a gift that I've extended to you. It's never too late to come back to the feet of Jesus. I think a lot of people need to hear that. It's never too late. You're never too far gone. I know all of us have heard that a thousand times, but sometimes as Christians, you know, I've said that sentence a lot, but I also have had a hard time believing it a lot. As it's, it's sometimes you, you go so far in the wrong direction, and, and you feel like, man, I'm probably too far gone to come back out of this one, but God's like, no, you're not. You're not too far gone. He has grace and mercy in any season of our lives. And I want to read a passage of scripture tonight to hopefully encourage those of you who maybe are in a place where you feel like you need God more than ever, but you just feel maybe unworthy or maybe like you, you're not in a place where you're able to accept it. I'm going to read this scripture out of Nehemiah chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, it's Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 26 through 31. And this story really spoke to me a lot about the character of our God. It says in verse 26, Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the name of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven. And according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. 
I'm going to pause right there. There's a little more reading to do in that chapter, but basically what has happened here is that the people turned from God and they ran from him. But the second that they needed him, because it comes, it goes like this. You say, God, I don't need you. He says, yes, you do. You say, no, God, I really don't need you. And he says, see how that works out. And so he, in the verse, it talks about how he gave them over to the hand of their enemies. But the second that they cried out, in complete regret, I would assume, the second that they cried out to their God, he was there to take them back. It doesn't make sense, but that's the God that we serve. And continue reading. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. So now we're at the point where they said, God, I don't need you. Yes, you do. God, I don't need you. Fine. See how that works out. Okay, God, I need you. Okay, come back. And now once again, they're doing evil against God. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. Proverbs 24 and verse 16 says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. That's a verse to live by. I don't know about you guys, but as humans, we do fail. And as Christians, it's almost like you feel like there is a limit to the amount of times that you can fail. I know I deal with that thought all the time. Like, God, how many times have we done this? You're, are you sure you're still there? You know, can we relate to that tonight? But a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. And if you're walking with God and if your heart is to be right with God, he knows we're people. He knows our nature. Right? And it's not, I know you've heard a thousand times, but grace is not a license to sin. But grace is there for you when you do. Grace is there for you when your heart longs to be right with God, but you know that you failed because we're human. And that's what we do. Tonight, some of you may need to be reminded that his mercies outweigh your regrets. I think there's people in this room that, that carry regrets. I think that's, that's, again, in our nature to carry the regrets because we can't wrap our minds around the God that we serve sometimes. But there may be people in this room who are carrying shame and guilt and regret in your lives. And you need nothing more than to just turn those over to God. But you just, you can't wrap your mind around it, so you just decide to carry it yourself. There's a song that I'm hoping to play at the end of the service. But it's, it, what it says in it is that, just to summarize, it says that, God, I give you my pain, I give you my struggles, I give you my sin, I give you my burdens because I've carried them enough and I can't anymore. And that's, you're in the prime position to experience grace when you're at that point. This is something that um, I, if any of you guys are friends with me on Facebook, I posted it this morning and I expected, honestly, I expected a lot of, uh, a lot of hate for it because it's not fun to hear, but I just felt the Lord speak this to me this morning, and it says, The freedom you're feeling when you turn from God is not true freedom. It's just the high of rebellion. When you rebel against God, it, there's a high to that. There's, it's that feeling of, of, of what you think is freedom. But what you're doing when you rebel against God is, is, 
it's not experiencing freedom the way that you think you might be experiencing freedom. What you're doing is you're walking yourself to your prison cell and holding out your wrists, wrists and saying, cuff me. That's what you're saying. You're going from a position of worship to a position of bondage. When you think you're experiencing freedom from God, you're actually just feeling a high of rebellion. Lucky for me, I didn't really get a lot of backlash on Facebook for that. I thought I was going to. I had a couple likes, though, from some... Anyways. (laughs) Don't check it. (laughs) Sometimes I think... As I said, sometimes I think, though, one of the biggest hindrances to us coming back to the cross or deciding it's time to come back to Jesus is that you don't understand it. Sometimes, you guys, we have this cross in here every Sunday, and we have altar calls every Sunday, and you you watch people come up here and just come back to the feet of Jesus and come back to the feet of Jesus. These are broken people a lot of the times. But you don't have to be completely broken. You don't have to get all the way to that point before you meet with Jesus. I think it's healthy to meet with Jesus at the foot of the cross, even on your high seasons, even on your best seasons. It's very effective in your walk with God to continue to surrender to him and to continue to fall at the feet of Jesus. That's our rightful place, is it not? It is. That's our rightful place is to be on our knees in front of our Savior at the cross where he died for us. We didn't die for ourselves. We didn't pay the price to have this salvation and this grace. We, we did nothing but say, yeah, I need it. We did nothing but raise our hand and say, I'll take it. If that's what you're serving, I'll take it. That's the extent of what we've done. We don't deserve it by any means, but that it's healthy for your walk with God to continue to, to resort to the cross. Humans versus God. It's not a fight, obviously, because God would win. But one of my points here is that we're not the same as God by any means. Everything that we're, that we, every positive attribute about us, God is like a, like, like, there's not even a, a number to tell you how many times greater he is in that department than us. But as humans, we're called to love. He loves us so that we can love others. He gives grace to us so that we can learn to give grace to others. He blesses us so that we can bless others. But humans versus God isn't even a thing because our God is so much greater than us. When you think about, when you think about, say Kyle. Kyle's one of my best friends. Hi, Kyle. Fresh haircut, dude. You're welcome. Take Kyle, for instance. So, so say me and Kyle are, we're super close. All right, I'm going to let Kyle be God in this and I'll be the sinner. We're super close, right? We are, we are closer than we've ever been. And we're doing life together, and it's great, and we're feeding off each other, and, th- and everything's going great. But then one day, I just decide to steal his shoes or to kick him in the shin because that's, like, one of the worst things you can do to someone. But one day, I just decide to turn my back on, on Kyle and then I say, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I did that, whatever it was, I'm sorry. And he says, all right, man, we're cool, we're cool. A week goes by, and I decide to do something else to him that's not nice. Maybe I stole something from him. Maybe I, you know, maybe I slandered his name behind his back. Maybe I was, you know, talking negatively about the man who is only there to help me in my walk. And he finds out about it. 
And I come back to him and I say, don't know how you found out about it. God knows. I don't know how you found out about it, but I'm sorry. Can we be friends again? And he says, yes. As a human, it gets to a point where there's no more, yeah, let's be homies. Like, it gets to the point where it's like, do I really want you to be my friend anymore? Because you keep, you keep, like, not being a friend to me. So why would I want to be a friend to you? But if Kyle's God in this situation and I'm the sinner, it's a never-ending thing. It's never-ending. There's not a point where he's going to say, you've done too much. There's never that point. You will never encounter that experience with God. I don't recommend you try or test it, but if you were to try and test it and see how many times you can hurt the heart of God, he will always be there for you. Sure, it saddens him to watch you leave, but it's not enough for him to shun you and say, you've lost your opportunity. We need to continue to resort to the cross. Sometimes, as Pastor was speaking um, on Sunday, sometimes we, we try to take matters into our own hands, <clears throat> into our own strength, instead of allowing God to continue his work in us. Do you guys remember on Sunday when he said that? He was saying, I don't know, is this Sunday or last, but he was saying, he was being funny. He was saying, he was reading that song. When did I, you know? Will you sing it for us? When did I forget that you've always been the king of the world? Try to take life back right out of the hands of the king of the world. And he was being funny, and he's like, okay, I'll just take that right back, and I'll walk around with it. And, and he was being funny, but man, is that true or what? How many times in our lives do we do that? Do we say, God, I love your help, but you're not working fast enough right now. You're not, the, your timing is off, so I'm just going to walk away and just figure this out on my own. I've been guilty of that. It's so hard to trust in God's timing. I have an analogy that I'm finally going to get to with a butter knife. Pretend it is. What is this? It's a butter knife? It's not. <laughs> Anyways, I don't have any like this, I don't think. Butter spreader. Oh, I guess I do. I don't know what the kitchen looks like, so... <laughs> I know where the refrigerator is in the microwave. That's the extent of my knowledge of the kitchen. But here's my analogy tonight. <laughs> Any men can relate? You don't really know where the, what the kitchen contents are? <laughs> I just genuinely don't cook, and it's a good thing that I don't. Anyways, my analogy tonight is that this is God. And this is us. Pretend this is a real butter knife because I don't believe you. You're building a house. Men in this room, have you ever used a butter knife as a flathead screwdriver? Or women. Yeah, okay, I got more women. Anyways. Yeah, it totally works. It's not the most effective tool for us to use, but it gets the job done. The analogy that came into my head today was that, actually yesterday, was that in building a house, hopefully you're using power tools. Otherwise, it's going to take years to build one door. You're using a power tool, and a lot of times they're electrical, and they die. They die on you. The battery goes out, and all of a sudden it stops working. And what do you do? 
Do you put that drill down and all of your power tools, go get the nearest butter knife and begin to screw in some very important screws into your floor or roof? Do you just do, you just do that and just hope that it just goes by a lot faster than what it is? That's silly. That would not be the best thing for you to do. I don't care if you're sitting there doing this for an hour. I promise you it's way faster to resort back to recharging this bad boy and getting back to work in the most effective and powerful way possible. The point of that analogy is that, yes, it sounds silly, but how many times in our lives are we working with God and we're, wor- and we're working away and we're doing great and, and things are moving great and we're loving his timing on things. It's just like he's doing a good job for us. His timing is really working out for us right now. And it's just, everything is just cruising by. We're using the most effective tool offered to us as humans to build the kingdom of God. But how many times when that fizzles away, it's not that God died or God left us, but how many times does that feeling, that closeness with God begin to fade away and we just decide to put it down and say, I think I could do this on my own. I think it's, I think it'll be better because this is not working. I'm not really feeling it anymore. Uh, that, that powerful feeling I had is kind of fading away. I think I'm just going to just going to take my butter knife and continue on in building the kingdom of God without God. Amen. Right? That happens regularly in my life that I have to continue to say, what am I doing with this thing? All I need to do is resort back to the foot of the cross, recharge my battery, and get back on it with God. We need to believe in the power of recharging our batteries. Instead of when that battery begins to die, instead of just pushing it aside, we need to plug back into God. How do you do that? Foot of the cross. That's how you do that. That's how you recharge that battery and begin to continue living a life using the most powerful tool offered to us, which is God. God has always, is always, and will always be the most effective tool and asset to building a life worth living. Walking with God means that once you're saved, you go from falling and failing in the world to now living your life in such a way that when you fall, it's only at the foot of Jesus. And that's if you're, if you're falling at the foot of Jesus because you need to recharge your battery because you still want to continue working with God, or it's because you're falling at the foot of Jesus because you need, you desperately need to be in right relationship with him. Do I have any friends in the house that have been in that point in your life where you're going to church, you, you go down the checklist and everything seems to be right, but something's missing. Next time that happens, ask yourself, when's the last time I visited the cross? When's the last time I asked Jesus to continue to be the Lord and Savior of my life? Sometimes it's super easy to have him be the Savior of our life, but being the Lord of our life, I don't know about that. Conviction is what I felt on myself just now. (laughs) We need to go from having our back to the cross and instead come back to being at the cross. What's our slogan as a church? Anybody know? Reach, raise, and release. You all said it. You just like, I heard reach, raise, release. (laughs) That's That's the order I heard it in, so that's good. 
your circle of influence, we're going to talk about reach and raise right now. Your circle of influence, the people that listen to you, the people that genuinely desire to hear what you have to say. It could be people that you mentor. It could be your family. Maybe your family likes to hear you talk. Mine doesn't. Maybe your family likes, to, likes what you have to say. Everyone has influence on someone. Everyone has somebody who's watching them. Some of us have learned that the hard way. But everybody in this room, everybody in the world has someone that's watching them and watching the way they live their lives. And for a lot of us, they're basing the way they live their life on the standard that you live yours. And what a responsibility that is. What a heavy load that is. The further you walk with God, the closer you get to God, the more of a leader you become in the kingdom of God, the more weight is on your shoulders to live your life right. And sometimes that, that's an awesome responsibility. I mean, what greater responsibility than to have the ability to influence others to hopefully live their life in a righteous way? But the second that you begin to live your life in a wrong way, and I've, I've been guilty of following the wrong leaders. Okay, these are people who I, I look up to, and, and all of a sudden I find myself aligning my convictions with theirs. And that's not what we're called to do. If you feel wrong about something, don't look at the guy who's doing that thing and say, oh, well, he's... He's saved, I think, so if he can do it, I can do it. I, it's, it's in our human nature to live a life of getting by. You want to do your best to still be saved, but still do everything else. That's not the way it works, though. With God, he asks us to put aside the things of this world and to come into relationship with him. Because it's not because he wants you to stop having fun and to stop living the fun life, but it's because he doesn't want you to be hurt. He's protecting us. And so the next time you begin to compare your, your convictions to somebody else, ask God. Just look over that person and go straight to God and say, God, is that, is that right? Is that not right? And if you're asking that question, it's probably not right. <laughs> Let's be honest. If you're asking God, like, can I do that? No, you probably can't do that. <laughs> it's pretty easy to, to feel the conviction of God and know what's right and what's wrong. It's kind of in us to know the difference between right and wrong. Your circle of influence needs you to continue to resort to the cross. Because if there's no surrender of thyself, if we are walking through this life doing the work of God, but not recharging our batteries and surrendering our lives to God regularly, then we become the gods of our own lives. And there is nothing in this world that is more counterproductive in building the kingdom of God than when we become the gods of our own kingdoms. There is nothing more counterproductive in building the kingdom of God than when we think we can be the god of our own kingdom. So many times as believers, it's, it's, it's easy to get in the role of doing the Christian life and, and being a Christian and, and looking the part. And you can do the works of God. The Bible talks about how you can, do, you can have the faith to move mountains, but without love, you have nothing. Works are, are irrelevant to God. If you're loving on his children, if you're loving on his people, that's when he has satisfaction in you as a servant of his, as a soldier in the army of Christ. You're most effective on your knees. 
That's the place that we need to be as believers 100% of the time. What's our wall say? When life becomes too hard to stand, kneel. When life becomes too hard to stand, kneel. Don't try to do it on your own now because it's, it's too hard with God. I'm just going to try to do it on my own. When it becomes too hard, kneel. He's always there. He will always be there to pick you up. It's not, it's not just because it sounds good that he's referred to as the father. It's said that way in the word of God because he is a father to us. What do you, raise your hand if you're a parent in this room. It doesn't matter if you're a parent, step-parent, doesn't matter. If you're a parent, raise your hand. My girls, they're not, they're, are they disobedient? Yeah, I know, but it just so seems like they're disobedient. They don't listen. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But what happens as parents when your children fail? Do you just say, yeah, you didn't want to listen to me. I'm not going to tell you how to get out of it. You chose to do that. Figure it out. I mean, sometimes there's a place where you say, I told you, but now you have to reap the consequences of it. Not that I know that from the parental part, but I know that from the kid part. (laughs) Being the son part where... My parents always told me the difference between right and wrong, and I just always decided that they were wrong. (laughs) That's part of being a kid, I guess. But our father is, is the example that we need to be as parents. It's the example that we need to look to in a father figure. A father is someone who's going to pick you up when you're down. When you fail, regardless of whether it was you failed in the world or you personally failed your father, if you personally failed God, straight to his face, you, maybe you made a promise to God. I know none of us in this room have ever made a promise to God that we didn't keep. <laughs> yeah. But he's not up there like, you promised and you didn't fulfill your promise, so that's it. You got to go figure it out. No, he's a loving father. And as believers, we need to accept that gift. Hey, Dave. Yep. <laughs> Could you play that song that I requested earlier? I want you guys to hear the lyrics of this song. First time I ever heard it, our youth band was sang it across the street, and I was like, that's a real song? Like, those are real words, and it's real truth. Yeah. You can go for it. Hey, Pastor Tim, you mind coming up here and... You guys, it's, I know it's been goofy and I've had some funny analogies and stuff, but this is, this is a real truth. The, the grace of God, the mercy that's found in our God, it's one that we will never comprehend, but it's one that's always extended to us. And it's been something that I've needed in my life and continue to need. This is, this is coming from a person who's been broken because of the cards he's been dealt. This is coming from a, a man who's come from a divorced family who's dealt with my, the father figure in my life committing suicide. This is coming from a broken man, but this is also coming from a man who's failed himself. It's coming from, we can't just go through life thinking it's just the way it is. We can't go through life playing victim all the time. I'm this way because of this. The moment you became saved, begin to study the Word of God and begin to become closer in relationship with Him. 
All that stuff fades away. And it's a positive thing. It's not like, oh no, my excuses are leaving. It's He's wiping that clean. And I think it's time that as believers, we need to take responsibility sometimes. It's hard. But to take responsibility for our failures. But that's what the cross is for. That's what that that red stuff you see all over that thing. The blood of Jesus spilled for us because he knows that we're sinners. One of the prayers that I pray regularly is that the sacrifice Jesus paid would become a reality in my life. I have to ask God for that. I have to ask God, God, make the realness of the sacrifice a reality in my life. We need to be reminded sometimes that that's not just a story we read, that that's not just something that we hear in church, and it's not just the topic of churches all around the world. That's a reality. That's not a historical, fictional story. The truth of Jesus, the grace of God. I've heard it said that it's a scandalous grace. It's scandalous. It doesn't make sense. But if any of you in this room tonight uh, maybe feel like any part of this spoke to you or maybe just God's dealing with you on your own, maybe you feel like it's time to go back to the cross because you've been gone too long or maybe you feel like it's time to come back to the cross because you've been doing good and, and you failed to give God the credit for it. If any of you are feeling that way, this altar's open tonight. The cross is open always.